Hi, I'm Telly Mahoney, and welcome to The Good Room, where we have interdisciplinary conversations about what makes a room good. Today, we're talking about child life playrooms, and I'm excited to welcome Kimberly Stanley, the Children's Health Director of PAGE, and Lucina Basilico, who has extensive experience designing child development centers for Fortune 500 companies. So let's chat about pediatrics and child development and how they intersect and inform each other. Let's jump in with what a child life program is. Certainly, there are child life specialists who are actually certified in this area. They either have a bachelor or master's degree in psychology or early childhood development or something like that. And there's an internship involved and typically an exam. So these are pretty experienced people working in children's hospitals to reduce stress and anxiety for kids. And, and it's kids, you know, from infancy to maybe 18 years old. So it's a wide range of young people. I'm really passionate about it because it's traumatic for children to be in a hospital in the first place. Oftentimes, traditional medical staff aren't really trained to reduce the stress of the child or family. They're trained in medicine and to help fix things. What the child life staff does and the rooms that we design help do is to get some normalcy back for the child and de-stress the situation through sometimes therapeutic play and sometimes age-appropriate education. Sometimes it's through music and sometimes it's through art. So I always think of architecture as both a science and an art. It's the art of architecture that I'm in love with. And child life rooms, either playrooms for young kids or teen rooms for older population, are all designed around helping children through what can be a traumatic journey. And it must be such rewarding work when you see it finished and how much it impacts the children. And Lucia, you touch so many different sectors, but I've seen that you've done some child care work as well. And then in the academic environments is really where your passion lies. Yeah, it definitely does. I think for me, I gravitated toward the academic environments in a lot of my projects. I was working in higher education, but then when I got the opportunity to work in early childhood education, it also coincided with the time that I was having kids and I was having sort of an experience of seeing children in child care facilities and in those early learning environments and the impact that it could have on the child. And it's just as Kimberly was saying that it takes a special kind of person to, to be a pediatric health provider. I feel the same about those that teach children. You have to have a certain kind of patience and a certain kind of passion and caring. And so I, I wanted to be part of creating that environment that really made it an ideal setting for that learning to take place and, and almost like you're you're calming the mind, calming the individual so that they can be their best self, so that they can relate to to a child and and get them to develop and grow in the classroom space, starting from the littlest ones, even in the infant rooms of a child care center. So it, it's it's exciting to be part of that design process and understand what the the child care provider needs, what a parent needs when they go into into these spaces and what is best for a child to get them to feel safe and calm and taken care of so that once all of that is taken care of, it's easier to learn. It's easier to develop. You get 
better results all around. And so it's, it's fantastic being part of that process and, and, and making that happen for the people that use the spaces every day. What considerations make a room more calming, more inviting to help the healing process or the learning process? It helps to always have natural light. I think that's that's critical and the right kind of natural light where much as possible to try to get northern light so that you have an equal glow throughout the day. Um, but then have differing bases, uh, different qualities of light and color and, and texture within the space. I think it's very important to not have a space that's overstimulating and that has flexibility so that you have opportunities to to tailor the the teaching, the learning for the the group or the child that's in the space. I think whenever you can make the the teaching process flexible and easier for the teacher to to do what they need to do uh, with every all of the sort of techniques that they have at hand, it, it 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 makes it easier for everybody. I think a lot about the activities themselves that the child life therapists do with children. The intent of which is to support their emotional needs and reduce anxiety about what to expect in the hospital in what is clearly a safe place. I think the way the design supports that kind of thing is making sure all the tools are there uh, in a safe environment to enable the child life specialists to interact with children and sometimes siblings and sometimes other family members appropriately to help children. Sometimes we'll design into a space at the client's request features that I'll say help demystify the medical procedures that a child might face before they face them. For example, we have designed kind of a miniature CT simulator. Uh, it really won't look like a piece of equipment to most people, but it's sort of donut shaped and either CTs or MRs, they make a little humming noise when you're in them. So we designed this to have light and also a humming noise and as far as the child is concerned, it's, it's sort of a play thing, but the child life specialists use it as a toy or as a, a place of engagement with the child prior to their getting that procedure. So when they actually get the real one, it has lighting, it has a humming noise, it might have a knocking noise. So it helps demystify medicine a bit. There is a psychologist at Vanderbilt, Vicki Harris is her name, and She's done some studies that prove now that if you engage a child in advance of a procedure to help really demystify what they're about to experience, the outcomes have been much more positive. So when a child of any age knows what to expect, and frankly, as adults, if we know what to expect prior to going through something that might otherwise be traumatic, the outcome is, is very positive. So I think those are the things that come to mind when I think of how we're designing child life spaces to support children and their families. That's so fascinating. And I imagine incredibly powerful for the child to understand what they're actually going through. And it makes me think of controlling the environment, but it makes it seem when you can't control the environment, you can understand the process and how important that is just for decreasing fear. The child being able to control their environment to a certain extent is a real positive thing. At the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando, Florida, each of the patient rooms for kids has a feature that the child can control themselves and the child can select what accent light they would like over their bed. So 
Uh, and you can see this from the outside of the building. So on any given day, as you drive by the children's hospital in the evening, you'll see a variety of accent colors just achieved through lighting. And I agree, giving a child the ability to control their environment is so impactful, more than you would realize. And, and it, it's not common, but when you're able to do it and you see the, the reaction and the impact it has on the child, it's really eye-opening. And it can be a minimal thing, like, yes, you can adjust the, the light temperature or the, the amount of light or even close the shades. Suddenly giving that feeling of control to the child, it makes quite the difference in their experience. I know you've done a lot of child development centers for Fortune 500 companies, and I imagine that there's a, there's a lot of kids in that room and at the same time. So is there a way that you can allow children to control their own environment when there's going to be a lot of children in that space at once? That's a good question. I, th- I think it can happen a lot with the furnishings. Uh, the furnishings are all child size and so that they can be moved, they can be rearranged, the rugs can be moved and, and you can create a zone. And so everything is small enough and movable enough where a child can rearrange the furniture themselves to create a space that is more suitable for them. And then we also create zones or little nooks that a child can create a cozy space within those nooks. Sometimes we create little windows or, or peepholes between the classrooms and the windows are placed at a, a child's eye level. So it gives a different perspective uh, that a parent can't have, you know, or a teacher can't have because they would have to, you know, get down on their on their knees to, to look through the spaces that the children are looking through. So sometimes we we create zones that may seem odd from a design perspective, but because they are at a child's height and size, a child knows immediately what to do in that kind of a space and how to outfit it so that they can make it their own and either make it a, a play space, a, a hideaway space, a napping space. So really just a variation of, of features at different sizes and heights that, that a child can, can make their own. It's sort of a theme of, of exploration and discovery which if you think about it, is a child's life, you know, exploring and discovering things. And I was also thinking, since we're looking at the intersection between academic environments and the playroom, I was thinking about how when children are in these health settings, that their traditional learning is kind of on a pause and it has to be maybe built into the environment while they're there. I think it's important to say that the whole child life program tries to ensure that the educational development is not on pause. It continues. So, for example, let's think of kids at St. Jude Children's Hospital or any children's hospital, really. Some of those children may be in the hospital for quite a long time. So Child Life has as part of its goal to continue to keep on track the developmental aspects of kids' education. Oftentimes there's a schoolroom. Oftentimes the kids actually will link into their school outside of the hospital from their patient room. So I think part you bring up a very important point because kids can miss a lot of learning while they're in the hospital. And that's why the Child Life team tries to make sure that that continues. They're in coordination with the child's teacher outside of the hospital. So all of that ideally just continues while the child is hospitalized, unless it's quite a short stay. 
How might the design support the staff in continuing their education? A lot of different ways. So some of the ongoing learning may happen in the patient room itself, depending on the age of the child. But uh, the Child Life Program sometimes will have an independent schoolroom where it may be set up not unlike a traditional classroom, but with fewer seats, being able to be flexible for different types of learning. For the really young kids, it's it's play and therapeutic play and music and art that's part of their learning. So these rooms are typically multi-purpose in nature. So there's built-in cabinetry for learning for toys and for supplies. There's the sink often built into some of the rooms for the art program. There's typically storage for musical instruments, depending on how large the, the child life program is. So I think multi-purpose is a really important word for a lot of these spaces. Multi-purpose and flexible, I think, too. It, it, they're, the children are in a different setting, and the, the diversity of supplies and materials and furniture gives the, the caretaker, uh, the healthcare provider, the teacher, different ways to teach. It's not in the traditional classroom setting. And so by giving a variety of tools for that learning to happen, it really makes it easier for the teacher, the caretaker, to tailor the lesson, if you will, for what's going on with the child and where the child is at that particular moment. And so I think also the the furnishings in the space are a little bit different than what you would have in a traditional classroom. And let's, as we talked about earlier, really lets the child and the teacher, the caretaker, get in a right space for the learning to happen. How do you create a room that has the ability to morph and change throughout the day or whatever the purpose is needed for it? Certainly furniture choices are really important. We've designed multiple approaches to that. In some cases, like at Intermountain Primary Children's in Salt Lake City, Utah, wonderful, wonderful child life program. They actually have the luxury of multiple rooms. So they have a separate playroom, teen room, music room, art room that they've consolidated as a part of the design. We consolidated all of that in one area and it becomes really, I think, a, a, an alternative to conventional, a conventional school day for, for a child. So it's all, cons- and it's all hosted, of course, staffed by child life specialists. In other places, there may only be two rooms, but we've designed multi-purpose rooms where there are walls that could be pulled aside, so flexible walls to make it a larger space and then close it down to a smaller space. We do a lot of furniture solutions that are very flexible so that you can gather as a group for storytelling, for instance, and then set it up more as a conventional classroom. And I think what also supports that is storage. So giving enough storage for those furnishings to be taken in and out and the materials to be taken in and out so that you can provide the the different settings in the classroom. And then the other one would be lighting. The, the lighting can also help support the, the learning or the activity that's going on in the space. And when you have that flexibility in light levels and even color temperature, that also helps to support the, the healing or the learning process. You know, one example I'm thinking about that is a bit unique, but post-pandemic, it might be appropriate. We're seeing more and more children's hospitals who used to use conventional toys with children in the hospital moving away from conventional toys. 
into interactive environments that are easier to clean. For example, some years ago, prior to COVID, all the toys that were used in the hospital with children were cleaned in dishwashers. So we would incorporate dishwashers in all the playrooms because, of course, cleanability is really important. More and more, we're designing into the room itself interactive play surfaces or interactive features that can then be wiped down with you know, the appropriate cleaning solution. At University of Virginia, for instance, we integrated into the wall an interactive play feature that's really about storytelling and language. And so children together can explore different languages and cultures and stories, but then that feature can be easily wiped down and cleaned. Both with Lucina's point about lighting and what you said, Kimberly, about interactive elements in the design made me think a little bit about that light design at Nemours, that when the children step on it, it changes colors. Am I correct about that? Yes, that's right. And uh, it's really exciting to explore some of those things. We like to collaborate a lot with the client, though, because you want to make sure it works into their programming and what, you know, what they really hope to achieve, because ideally you want to match the programming expectations of the client with the special feature. So the special feature doesn't just stand alone. It's really part of their program during the day. But yeah, there, there are a lot of very economical technology enhanced approaches to this that, that we're exploring, including video integration and at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, we designed an interactive wall as children walk beside it, fish are swimming with them, those sorts of things. So those types of things uh, really speak a lot to the child of the information age. And kids are a pretty sophisticated group. And I think as we recognize this next generation of kids, very comfortable with technology. So I'm thinking more and more about how technology can play a role in the healing process. Is technology playing a larger role in the academic process too, Lucina? It is, but I wouldn't say so much at the younger ages quite yet. Children will, will be exposed to technology and will be very hands-on and heavy into technology soon enough. And so I think in the, the earlier stages from the, the infants to maybe the, the preschool classrooms, there's still more reliance on things that are more analog. Not necessarily traditional toys or, or activities, but things that, that make sure that children are learning about the human connection and that human interaction, not only with the teachers, but with their classmates. And there's a big element of getting children outdoors and interacting with nature and not just animals, but also plant life. Again, as we were saying, children are, are more sophisticated than we realize. I think they'd like to be part of an environment that they can see what their input is and what their impact is growing something in a garden or having a class at or all of those kinds of things I think are, are really important. Technology will play a role eventually and, and I think it's important to Make sure that the interaction with technology is sort of a two-way dialogue. And I think that's what has, for me, been interesting to watch teachers and in their, in their planning and how they choose to use technology, that it's, that the children are understanding sort of the output and what their impact is in whatever they're doing with technology. 
think the American Academy of Pediatrics would support exactly what Lucina just said. There's a lot more research being done right now on technology and really young children and the value of uh, hands-on, low-tech or no-tech for the really young children, just for the developing brain. Do you find when you're designing these environments that you're balancing the evolution of technology with keeping, like Lucina said, how important the natural environment is, daylighting? Do you feel like you're trying to balance that line? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, in an ideal world, we would be able to determine where some of these spaces are located in the hospital. And that's not always the case. In an ideal world, there would be an environment for kids that had plenty of natural light and views of nature, even access to nature. But we aren't always given that choice. Sometimes the spaces we're able to convert have no windows at all, which, you know, really is not optimal. But in those instances, we are giving a lot of attention on how to simulate daylight, which we've been able to do pretty successfully with daylighting techniques and faux skylights, for instance. So there are a lot of techniques we can use when we're faced with that situation. But I think sometimes we have we have to step back and realize, you know, we've got to use our creative powers to make any space successful when it comes to child life because we don't always we're not always building new. As we're thinking about what makes a playroom good, do you see an evolution happening in this next decade that might make the room even better? I could definitely see an evolution just because there's so much going on right now in the world of simulation and and VR. But I'm also curious about that. I think there's a lot of promise there, but again, like we were saying, the sophistication of children, that once you take those goggles off, you're in a different world again. And so I think it's it's still going to be very important to have that human connection to continue to do things and, and learn things and connect in ways that are more analog, in addition to having technology support all these healing and learning processes that happen. And there's a part of me that believes that the simpler we can keep these spaces so that the focus is on the child, the better. I do think a little bit about the number of children experiencing behavioral health problems and whether there might be a component of child life focused specifically on those children. I guess, you know, there's always a tendency to, to imagine the next technology gadget that may help, help us in, in uh, all aspects of our life. But there's a part of me that hopes we keep child life spaces simple, low-tech, mostly no-tech, and safe places. Thank you, Kimberly and Lucina, for joining me today. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Good Room.